The second Bible reading and the one that the sermon is from is 1 John chapter 4 verse 1 to chapter 5 verse 5. So 1 John chapter 4 verse 1. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Saviour of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world, 
This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Good morning. Good to be with you here this morning. Uh, Some familiar faces, some new faces. It's great to have you along. We've had a few disruptions this morning, so uh, why don't we pray that God will um, calm our hearts and prepare us to hear what he has to say to us. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you have promised that your spirit is among us as we um, cling to faith in Jesus. We thank you that your spirit has given us these words that we have read and we ask that he will now be working in our hearts to give us the faith that responds appropriately to these words and the love that flows from that. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what is the the mark or the evidence of God's Spirit in us? Every year in Darling Harbour, except for this year because of COVID, they have the Festival of Mind, Body and Spirit. And at that festival, you can find people making all kinds of spiritual claims. You can learn to meditate by by chanting through the chakras, you can consult a medium, you can hear the crystal singing bowl, whatever that means. You can even discover a journey to the path of the goddess. Now, you might not find any of those spiritual paths particularly tempting, but what if someone says to you, I have the spirit of God in me and I have something to say to you? Or I have the Spirit of God in me, and you can too. Because that's what we want, isn't it? We want to have God living in us by his Spirit, and we want to know that we do. So how can we know if we do? What's the evidence of God's Spirit in us? That's what we're looking at today. And the first thing we're going to see, point one, is that the Spirit of God produces faith in Jesus. The Spirit of God in us produces faith in Jesus. And you can see in chapter 4, verse 1, that John is writing to people who were in danger of being led astray by false spiritual claims. People who were claiming to be prophets of God, but they were not. They were false prophets. So have a look at 4, verse 1. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. See, these so-called prophets were claiming to be speaking by the power of God's Spirit. Now, we don't know what exactly that looked like, but clearly it was convincing. It might have involved predicting the future. It might have been accompanied by miracles. They might have been speaking in a way that was insightful and convincing and persuasive, speaking with passion, speaking in a way that feels like the Spirit is moving in the speaker and in my heart as I'm listening. Whatever it was that these false prophets were doing, they seemed to be speaking with spiritual authority. And these brothers and sisters who John is writing to were in danger of being led astray by that, tempted to believe them. And so John is saying to them, don't believe every spirit. However impressive, however spiritual they might seem, 
It doesn't mean that they are speaking by the Spirit of God. And it's certainly no reason to believe them. Instead, he tells them, test the spirits to see whether they are from God. So what's the test? Well, it's there in verse 2 and 3. This is how you can recognise the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. So the test is acknowledging that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Now that's not some tricky theological idea that we need to kind of understand, nor is it some kind of password or passphrase that someone needs to be able to speak if they have God's spirit. It's just a summary of the Christian faith. It's simply acknowledging that Jesus is who he said he is, that he is the Christ, that he was sent from God to take away the sin of the world and everything that means for my sin, for my forgiveness, for salvation, for me acknowledging Jesus as Lord. That is, if someone is claiming to be speaking by the Spirit of God, then there must be someone who is speaking about these things. There must be someone who believes these things. There must be someone who lives these things. Anything else is a lie. Even if what they're saying is really convincing, really attractive, or even if it's supernatural, it's not the work of the Spirit if it doesn't encourage us to trust Jesus, to confess our sin and to look to Jesus for forgiveness and only to Jesus. Or if it doesn't encourage us to live a life of trusting Jesus, then it's not the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit produces faith in Jesus. And so anyone speaking by the Spirit of God must be encouraging this same faith. Now this is primarily talking about people from outside the church, sorry, people being led astray from those outside the church, people who promote a spirituality apart from Jesus, whether it's a formal religion or just some form of spirituality, as we talk about, that doesn't have Jesus as Saviour and Lord. You know, like the kind of spirituality that encourages me to look inside myself to find my own path to God. Or that tells me just to make sure that my good outweighs my bad. I mean, that's a popular spirituality that we have around us. These kinds of things are not from God and we must not listen to them. So the test is, does it point us to trusting Jesus? That's the question we need to ask about seemingly spiritual things that people say to us. But it's also a helpful test for what I say to myself and what I think God is telling me by his spirit. Because I can convince myself that his spirit is leading me in some particular direction. Right? And often that often comes with that you know, internal feeling of peace. And I hear people say this a lot, I just have a real peace about this decision. And the problem is we use that feeling of peace as the reason for concluding that this is God telling me what to do. That is a bad method for Christian decision-making. Yes, God's Spirit can give us peace about some particular decision, a good decision, but we need to test that. 
Is this decision one that comes from trusting Jesus? And is this decision one that's going to help me to live a life of trusting Jesus into the future? Because a feeling of peace about this is not necessarily God saying, go for it. There's no guarantee that the right decision is going to feel like the best decision. Sometimes a feeling of peace is just attached to selfishness because I'm escaping from something that I don't like. The grass is greener over there and I really like that and so that makes me feel good to think, think about doing that. And on the other hand, the right decision doesn't necessarily... Sorry, the right decision might be the one that doesn't feel good because living a self-sacrificial Christian life can be hard. God's spirit in us produces faith in Jesus and so a spirit-led Christian is one who lives that life of trusting Jesus in our decision-making. And as we'll see in the next section of this passage, the life of faith is most clearly seen in our love. So our second point is that the Spirit of God produces love like Jesus. The Spirit of God produces love like Jesus. As we've been working through 1 John, you've probably noticed that we spent a lot of time talking about love. In fact, we've spent a lot of time talking both about love and faith. These are two major themes in John's letter here. See, John's writing style is not so much kind of linear, going in a straight line of making an argument from one point to the next. It's more circular. And he talks about different things and he comes around to it, but he's, he's kind of got two circles. It's like he's, he's waxing a car, right? But he's waxing the car Mr. Miyagi style from Karate Kid. You know what I'm talking about, right? You know, come on, show me hands. You know, Mr. Miyagi from Karate Kid. Yeah, wax on, wax off. Two circles, faith and love. And he keeps coming around to them, faith and love. And he's just talked about faith and now he's coming back to love. And in a moment, he's going to mix the two together. But now he's talking about love. Do you ever wonder why loving one another is such a big deal for anyone who calls themselves a Christian? Why is that something that God says this must be a mark of someone who calls himself a Christian. We, we, we kind of take that for granted, don't we? But the answer comes, I think, in verse 8, in those famous words, in verse 8, three words, God is love. That's why love is so important for someone who follows God. Now, there are three, there's way more packed into those three words than we can kind of unpack now, but it's at least saying that love is a fundamental part of who God is. Yes, God is all-powerful. Yes, God is all-knowing. Yes, God is eternal and so many other things. But even greater than that, God is love. Firstly, in the perfect love between the Father, Son and Spirit that unites them together. But then now also in the love that God has extended towards us and shown towards us. Because love is so fundamental to who God is, our love shows that we are his children. It shows that we are part of his family. Love is like a family trait of being in God's family. God's children are recognised by their love. That's what it says in verse 7 and 8. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is 
love. Family traits, family characteristics are funny things, aren't they? Some of, some of my kids have been unfortunate enough to have inherited my furrowed brow. So sorry if it feels like I'm frowning at you sometimes. That's just what my face looks like, particularly when I'm concentrating. And some of my kids have inherited that. But there are some family traits, some family characteristics that all of our kids have inherited because they come from a dominant gene, like, like Helena's brown eyes. It's not possible for our kids to not have brown eyes because that's a dominant gene. Well, in God's family, love is a dominant gene. If you don't have love, then you're not part of God's family. And he's already told us last week what God's love looks like, but it's so important he's going to tell us again. Verse 9, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. And again in verse 10, This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Our sins is like the opposite of God's love. Our sin spits in the face of God and it ruins the world that God has made because we are seven billion people all trying to love ourselves first. And so we don't treat each other with the kind of love that God tells us to. We don't treat his creation the way that he tells us to. And the evidence for the problems that that causes is all around us. We've caused damage at every level of life in personal relationships, within families, within communities, within countries, internationally. The evidence for us not living the way that God wants us to, with living in sin, is everywhere. That's what we've got done to God's creation and our fellow creatures because we don't acknowledge God as God. That's what our sins are. And God has every right to take away the life that he gives us, to be angry about us doing that and give us death instead. But because God loves us, he did something else. He took that death that we deserve on himself. When Jesus died on the cross, he was the atoning sacrifice that takes the penalty that we deserve on Jesus and reunites us to God. Jesus took what we deserved. That's what God's love for us looked like. And he offers it freely to every single one of us. And we receive it simply by putting our trust in Jesus. It's wonderful news. That's the love of the God who is love. And now he's saying to us in verse 11 that if we really have received that love, then we should love each other like that too. Our love is the sign that God lives in us by his spirit. So it says in verse 12, if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And again in verse 13, this is how we know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. See, our love for each other shows that the God who is love is living in us by his spirit. So it's not prophecy that shows that we have God's spirit. There were false prophets. It's not miracles. It's not speaking in tongues. It's not that feeling of inner peace. It's not feeling overwhelmed by emotion. It's love, faith and love. 
And if you were here last week, last week we talked about what that love should look like among us in the ways that we relate to each other. So I'm not going to talk about that again today. Today I just want us to recognise that this is how we know that God lives in us by his spirit. God's spirit produces trust in Jesus and now we're hearing that God's spirit produces love like Jesus, love for each other. So if you want to be a truly spirit-filled person, then seek to excel in love for each other. Because this is where we see God's spirit at work most clearly in us, in that gritty, even mundane ways that we love each other. As we do those things that we talked about last week, that the thankless, the unseen, the costly love, that is the work of God's spirit in you. And particularly as God challenges my lovelessness, when he doesn't let me sit comfortably with my lack of love, when he takes my loveless heart and, and, and draws me towards greater love, to be more like Jesus, that gives me confidence that God's living in me by his spirit. So God's spirit produces faith in Jesus, God's spirit produces love like Jesus, and finally, faith in Jesus enables us to love like Jesus. See, John loves to mix together faith and love as two ingredients that make a child of God. And he does that again in chapter 5, verse 1. He says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. That's faith, believing that Jesus is the Christ. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. That's love, faith and love. But as he goes on, he shows that our ability to love comes from our faith. Our faith gives us the victory, he says, in our struggle to love. What's going to help us in our struggle to love? Our faith. It says that from verse 4 and 5. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world. Even our faith. That is our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he, only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. See, our faith in Jesus gives us the victory in our struggle against love for the world and for the things of the world, in a struggle against my selfishness, in my struggle to love myself and not the people around me, my, when I want to close my heart to the needs of others, my trust in Jesus is what gives me the fuel to love like Jesus. My trust in Jesus is like what anchors me to God, and so it helps me to love with a God-like love. You know, in just the past couple of months, I've had conversations with a number of people who are loving in these ways that we are meant to be loving. They're going out of their way for the sake of others, meeting the needs of others, for the good of others, giving their time, energy, money, convenience, and they're feeling the cost of that. Loving like Jesus loved is hard, it's costly. And as we kind of talked about that, we found ourselves talking about what is it that will help me to persevere with this kind of love for the long term as I find it difficult? What's going to keep me going year after year after year for the long term? I'll tell you what it's not going to be. It's not going to be the recognition 
that we get from others for what we do and for how we love people. You know, sometimes the way we love others is recognised by people and we get thanked for it and it's nice when that happens. It's encouraging. But in the end, that's not what will keep us going with this kind of love. The only thing that will keep us going with this kind of love for the long term is exactly what it says here in verse 4. Our faith. My personal trust in Jesus. Your personal trust in Jesus. My conviction that Jesus is who he says he is. That he came from God to take away my sin. That he is risen as the Lord of all. That he makes me a child of God and he wants me to live like him. That I have eternal life waiting for me. These things, knowing these things with conviction, is what will keep us going with that costly love in the long term. When no one else is looking, when the shine has worn off and it feels anything but glamorous, our trust in Jesus gives us the victory to overcome our desire to quit loving. And I think this is also what helps us to understand those shocking words in verse 3. I think they're shocking anyway. Have a look at verse 3. It says, God's commands are not burdensome. God's commands are not burdensome. Because of our faith in Jesus, God's commands are not burdensome. Do you feel that way about God's commands? Particularly, do you find loving others burdensome? I have to admit, sometimes I do find love burdensome. And it seems to me from these verses that this is challenging the looseness with which we hold on to our trust in Jesus. Our faith overcomes the world, it says, and, and, our, and our love for the world. But we're so heavily invested in the world and the things of the world that we find God's commands a burden. And so this is a challenge for me and, and for you when we do feel like loving others is a burden. Our, only our trust in Jesus will help us to overcome that. See, my trust in Jesus is what frees me from the burden of thinking that my good works and my acts of love is what makes God accept me, what, what makes me acceptable to God. That's a heavy burden. My trust in Jesus relieves me of that burden, takes it away. My trust in Jesus is also what frees me from needing praise from others as the reward for my love. My trust in Jesus is what will remind me that love itself is its own reward because in my love we are showing the character of God who is love. We are showing that we are his children. And so this should always take us back to the beginning, to God's love for us in Jesus, to the cross where God sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins because that is where the victory is found. Our trust in his victory. That's what will enable me and you to continue with this kind of love. So I'm going to pray that God's Spirit will do this in us, that we will look to the cross and God's Spirit will give us trust in Jesus and love for each other. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you know those areas in which we struggle to love those around us. You know those ways in which we struggle to keep our faith focused on Jesus. And so, Father, we ask that you will grow us in our trust in Jesus.
take our, our gaze away from the things of the world and to fix them on Jesus, on his cross and his resurrection. And we ask that by your spirit you will produce that love in us that is like you and is a characteristic of being your child. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.